Well, good morning. I want to welcome all of you out to our Heights campus. We welcome those that are joining our live streaming this morning, as well as those who will listen to us throughout the week. And it's just a pleasure to be here again with you. But as we gather today, uh, our hearts are heavy. They're saddened by what's going on in our Commonwealth, what's going on in Charlottesville. And as we think about that and pray about that, it is simply a reminder to us that we live in a broken world that desperately needs Jesus Christ. And it reminds us with great joy that God has prepared for us a better country, a better place, a heavenly one. And we look forward to that. Let's look to heaven this morning. Let's bow in prayer first. Father, we thank you for your presence with us. And Father, we thank you for your love that defeats hatred, that defeats racism, that defeats the brokenness of this world, Lord. And Father, we just lift up our communities. We lift up our country. We lift up our leaders. We lift up, Father, those that have uh, suffered directly from this week's violence. And Lord, we ask your blessing. Father, we ask that, Lord, you would strengthen us and encourage us and challenge us to go out into the world and be the church Not the church that the world sometimes describes, but the church that, Lord, you called us and created us to be. And, Father, we thank you that we go out in your power and your strength. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, we said we're going to come back and talk about heaven some more today. And as we get started, I want to share with you. Back in uh, 2004, several celebrities were asked what they thought heaven would be like. And here's some of their responses. Denzel Washington said, no kids, no noise. And he went on to say, I just want to see those gates closing behind me. Edie Falco, the the actress, said, finding a parking space in front of my house. Nick Lachey said, my life's pretty heavenly right now. Hugh Jackman said, in heaven there'll be no liver. Tara Reid said, heaven will be having an Academy Award in my hand. Billy Bob Thornton said it'll be living on a lily pad with all the German chocolate cake and fried okra I could eat. (laughs) Dennis Quaid said it simply, Texas. Uma Thurman said it'll be sweet, intimate, pretty, and really private. Sandra Bullock said it'll be no drama and a pint of Haagen-Dazs. And Matthew Broderick said, I want the harp, the white robe, and all of that. What's heaven going to be like? It's what we ask ourselves and think about. In the very first chapter of Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn, Huck's talking about heaven a little bit, and he shares this account of what's going on at the time. He says, Miss Watson would say, Don't put your feet up there, Huckleberry. And don't scrunch up like that, Huckleberry. Set up straight. And pretty soon she'd say, Don't gap and stretch like that, Huckleberry. Why don't you try to behave? Then she told me all about the bad place, and I said I wished I was there. She got mad then, but I I didn't mean no harm. All I wanted was to go somewhere. All I wanted was a change. I weren't particular. She said it was wicked to say what I said. Said she wouldn't say it for the whole world. She was going to live so as to go to the good place. Well, I couldn't see no advantage in going where she was going. 
So I made up my mind I wouldn't try for it. But I never said so because it would only make trouble and wouldn't do no good. Now she got a start and she went on and told me all about the good place. She said all a body would have to do there was to go around all day long with a harp and sing forever and ever. Now I didn't think much of that. But I never said so. I asked her if she reckoned Tom Sawyer would go there. And she said, not by a considerable sight. I was glad about that because I wanted him and me to be together. So Huck kind of summed up what a lot of people think about heaven. And that is that it's going to be boring. Well, is it going to be boring? J.D. Greer, who's pastor of Summit Church down in the Raleigh-Durham area, wrote this. He said, many people have a secret fear about heaven. It sounds boring to them. Like an eternal choir practice where we prance around in diapers, playing a harp and listening to Morgan Freeman read the dictionary all day. And to some people, that sounds more like hell than heaven. So, is heaven going to be eternally doing the things we don't even enjoy doing here on earth? Like, Sitting around singing and playing harps. Or if you think about it the other way, maybe it's going to be really good, but is it going to be good forever? For all eternity? Eternity is a long, long time, isn't it? And even if it's something good, is it going to be good forever? I mean, haven't there been some things in your life that you really enjoyed for a season and for a time, but you later got bored with them? You got tired of them? How many of us have a video game or an app on our phone or a piece of exercise equipment that we just couldn't do without and now we're done with it? What's heaven going to be like? Is it going to be boring? Well, the answer to that, as Scripture tells us, is a resounding no. See, heaven's not going to be boring because... When we're talking about heaven, we're talking about, among many other things, being in the presence of God the Creator. The God of ultimate fascination. And so we're not going to be bored. We're not going to be tired. We're not going to get weary of doing that. Look look at what we find in, in Psalms. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, You reveal the path of life to me in your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. Yes, some of our things we have in this world and we do in this world bring us temporary pleasure, but then we tire of them. But he says when it comes to the things of heaven, when it comes to things in the presence of God, they're going to be eternal. The pleasure is always going to be there. So we're not going to get weary of them. We're not going to get tired of them. We're not going to wish we were somewhere else. We're not going to find ourselves bored. We are in the presence of fascination. And we're going to be eternally that way. So what are we going to do in heaven? What are some of the things that are going to happen to us when we get to heaven? And we, we don't have time to discuss all of them, and we don't even begin to know all of them. Uh, scripture only gives us a, a brief glimpse into it. But I believe among the things we're going to do in heaven is we will explore. Look at what we find in Revelation 
uh, chapter 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Now I'm very thankful for when I grew up and where I grew up, the the time and the location of it, uh, because I grew up with the opportunity to explore life. Growing up on the farm like I did, I remember many days during the summer and and some Saturdays when the, the chore schedule on the farm would lend itself for us to have a day to go out and to explore. And so we'd go out into the woods behind our house. Now, when I'm talking about going into the woods behind our house, I'm not talking about that little strip of trees you might have at the back of your yard in the subdivision. I'm talking about acres and acres and acres of places to explore. And when you ran out of places on your farm, you could just keep going to the next one and to the next one. And my friends and I, we would meet up and we would gather there and, and we would uh, find things to do and we'd find people to see and, and, and all kinds of games to take place and adventures to happen. One of the greatest things about that time of exploration was there was always something new. Even though we'd gone this same journey, this same path so many times, it was always different. Something had happened. You know, a storm had come through or, or a tree had fallen. Something had taken place and it was new and fresh. And in Scripture, in Revelation, God tells us, He says, I am making all things new. Do you understand the tense there? Not I have made. Not I will make, but I am making. A continuous process. He says, I am constantly making new things. And I believe when we get to heaven, it's going to be still like that. I think he's going to continue to be making new things for us to experience and for us to explore. One of the things I love about the beach is you can walk on the beach today and it's different than it was yesterday. It's renewed itself. There there are different seashells out there, different creatures that have washed up. It's new and different. And that's what we're going to see as we talk about going to heaven. We're in the new heaven and the new earth. We're experiencing the new city. It's all a new process of, of discovery and exploration. And there are not going to be any limits in that exploration like there are now. Now, for instance, I love the mountains, but I don't like the edge of the mountains. I have a fear of heights. And so I like the mountains from here. I don't like the mountains so much from here. That's a limit to me of of my enjoyment. But when it comes to heaven, I'm not going to have those limits. I'm not going to have a fear of heights. I'm not going to be limited by anything, and neither are you. You're going to be able to explore the entire universe. With no limitations. All that God has created and is creating and making you. Adrian Rogers, past president of the Southern Baptist Convention and uh, pastor of the past pastor of the great Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, told the story one time of a lady coming up to the guide in Yosemite National Park. And she asked him a question. She said, if I only have an hour, if you only had an hour to visit Yosemite, what would you do? And the guy told her, I'd sit on that rock right there and cry. 
And what's he saying in that statement? He's saying the wonders and the majesty of Yosemite is too great to be limited by an hour. But when we get to exploring in heaven, we're not going to have a time limitation. We're going to be able to explore as long as we want and as long as we want will be for eternity. Dan Schaefer says that in history we learned about the golden age of exploration. He says, but in reality, the golden age of exploration is still to come. The golden age of exploration will be when we get to heaven. So we will explore in heaven. But we're also going to work and serve in heaven. Again, look at Revelation. It says, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. In heaven, we're going to serve. Now, I'm going to do an age test right here. And I told the first group that I think they would do better on the test than the last, the 11, 15 hour. I think they may do a little better than you, but I think you'll do better than the 11, 15. How many of you remember a television character by the name of Maynard G. Krebs? Anybody in the... Yeah, we've got a few. Don't we? Some of you are my age, so I know you're old enough to remember it. And he still comes around in reruns every now and then. He was a character in the television show The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis. Maynard was a beatnik, and he was Dobie's best friend. And among other things that was a part of of his uh, radical lifestyle was his reaction to work. He didn't think much of work. And even to hear the word work would upset him. In fact, every time he heard the word work, he'd go, work! Well, you know, most of us today don't react and jump and squeal like Maynard did. But there's a whole lot of us that kind of feel the same way. I mean, after all, work is a four-letter word, isn't it? Why do we feel that? Why do we feel that frustration about work? And not all of us do, but for those that do, why? I think the case for many of us is that we work in jobs and in occupations that are designed just to take care of our families, just to put food on our tables, just to have money. But we're not in jobs that give us the opportunity to, to express our God-given gifts. We don't have the opportunity to do those things that God created us to do. And so we see work as a bad thing. And sometimes people will even say, you know, well, yeah, work came about because of the fall. That's not true. Go back to the Garden of Eden before the fall, before Adam and Eve sinned, and you discover that Adam and Eve are working because you and I are created to work. Work is a good thing. But with sin, with the fall, God put a curse on the ground and made work harder. And you and I now struggle under that curse as well. But work is not a bad thing. We're created to do it. And so when we get to heaven, we're going to be able to work. But the joy, the good news is this. We're going to be able to work in perfect fulfillment. We're going to be able to work in those things that honor and please and bring glory to God. And I believe some of us, what's our work going to be in heaven? For some of you, it will be maybe the same thing you're doing now. 
just to ultimate fulfillment. But I know for others that there's not going to be a need for your job, for your occupation. For instance, there's going to be no sin and no sickness in heaven. That means we don't need policemen and doctors and dentists. So you're going to be doing something different. What is it? I don't know. Maybe it's an opportunity to do that thing that you really wanted to do here on this earth and you never got to do. Maybe that's going to be your job. But our jobs, our work is all for the purpose of His servants serving Him. In the movie Chariots of Fire, there's a scene where Eric Little, the runner, is talking with his sister and she doesn't want him wasting all this time running and training and doing all of that. She said, you know, you have a calling. And he says, I know I was created for a purpose. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Even in this broken world, Even under the curse of sin, there are times, there are moments, there are situations where you and I do something and we feel God's pleasure. And what an awesome experience that is. What an awesome feeling that is. Well, when we get to heaven, we will not only be able to feel and sense His pleasure as we serve Him, But we have the opportunity to look at Him face to face and see the joy in His face. See the pleasure as we serve Him directly. So we will explore. And we will work and serve Him. And then a third thing we'll do in heaven is we will fellowship. Listen to what David Jeremiah says about our heavenly fellowship. He says, in heaven we'll have fellowship like never before. Imagine having the unlimited opportunity to worship with people from all ages of history. Even people we only read about in books. We'll also be able to know and fellowship with our Lord in a way that we cannot possibly comprehend. Our Savior will be our personal friend. And we will fellowship with Him forever. An awesome description of fellowship. Think about that. We will be able to fellowship with new people. And I want to say to you, that is not just new in terms of people that we've never met before. People from different times in history and from different places. Yes, all of that will take place. But we will also be able to fellowship with one another in a new way because we are going to be regenerated people we are going to be renewed people we are going to be perfected people in heaven and so you will be able to fellowship with people that in a way unlike anything you could do here on this earth because it has limitations on this earth we've got people that we have trouble fellowshipping with because of the way they talk or the way they act Or things that they have done to us. And then we have limitations. Things that that hinder our relationship. That sabotage our relationships with others. I have shared with you before that I am an introvert. And for those of you that don't grasp exactly what that means. An extrovert can be in a crowd of people and talking to all sorts of folks. 
And he or she will just draw energy from that. Draw energy from those people. An introvert is in that same situation and energy is constantly being drained from him. So bottom line is, you people wear me out. (laughs) Just say it like it is. But the truth of the matter is, it's not because of you or, or anything you do. It's because of who I am. It's because of that introverted nature I have. But you know what? When we get to heaven, that's not going to be a problem anymore. You're never going to wear me out. And I'm going to have the ability to talk with as many people as I want. And so we're going to be able to fellowship with one another in a new and a special and a unique way. We're going to be able to fellowship Uh, with friends and family that have gone before us. We're going to be able to fellowship with the heroes of the faith that we've only read about in books. We're going to be able to fellowship with the writers of the New Testament. But most of all, we're going to be able to fellowship with God in a way that is unlike anything we can do now. Yes, we pray. Yes, we spend time to... Yes, we do fellowship. But it's going to be so much more in heaven. And so we need to understand that. I love how the Message Bible uh, puts Genesis, uh, Revelation 21.3. Look, God's moved in the neighborhood. Love that. God's moved in the neighborhood. The new heaven and the new earth have come down. And we are now neighbors with God. Making His home with men and women. They're His people and He's... They're God. That's what our relationship is going to be like in heaven. We will fellowship. And as we talk about fellowship with God, brings us to a fourth thing we're going to do in heaven. And that is we will worship. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This morning, I was watching some of you during our, our time of music. Hesitate to say time of worship because worship's more than just the music, but that's kind of where we think about it, isn't it? And I've decided that this aspect of heaven is going to be hard on some of you. (laughs) Y'all are going to have a hard time worshiping. Now, we can't say that about the choir because, boy, did they bring it today, didn't they? That's worship. Somebody said, if that didn't set you up to preach, you might as well just quit what you're doing. And that's true. But some of us have trouble with this idea of worship. And it's, it's not a matter of, well, he didn't raise his hand. Not everybody needs to raise their hand. But there's something about your body language and your facial expressions that kind of lets on, okay, there's not much worshiping going on there. But it says in heaven, we're going to worship. The scripture calls for us to worship. Psalm 100 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. That's the basis for worship. Thanksgiving. Look at Revelation chapter 5, verse 12. It says, They said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered. There we see their choruses that they're singing in heaven. What are they centered on? What our worship will be centered on? On the work that Jesus Christ did upon the cross for us. That's what all of worship is going to be centered on during this time. And understand this. I believe that you and I need to do a better job of preparing ourselves in this world to worship in heaven. And one of the things we need to understand is the basis of it is thanksgiving for what God did. 
that God sent His Son who willingly went to the cross and died and was slaughtered for us. See, worship is not about how I feel, but about what He is worthy of. Do you understand that? Look at what Randy Alcorn said. If we ever forget who we once were and what we once did, How could we appreciate the depth and meaning of Christ's love and sacrifice for us? How could we worship Christ for His amazing grace if we forget our utter rebellion and unworthiness that makes His grace amazing? Grace is so amazing because we were so sinful. If we ever forget that, we lose the ability to worship. But when we keep that in the forefront, when we keep that as the focus and understand it's what He's worthy of, it makes all the difference. In Psalm 35, verse 27, it says that those who delight in salvation shout for joy. Do you delight in salvation this morning? Then shout for joy. That's what Scripture tells us. Now, we could go on with other things we're going to do in heaven, but we don't have that much time. We can't cover everything that the Scripture says, and even if we covered everything the Scripture says, we still wouldn't know all of it. But what do we do with it? Ruth Anna Metzger is a professional singer, a professor in college teaching music, renowned for her vocal abilities, and a devoted Christian. She was invited to sing at the wedding of the daughter of a millionaire, actually multi-millionaire, in Seattle. It was on the top two floors of the tallest high-rise in Seattle. She and her husband went. She sang in the wedding. At the end of the wedding ceremony, the bride and the groom made their way up these elaborate staircase to the top floor of the building. As they got up there, there was a a ribbon draped across the stairway, and they ceremoniously cut it, thereby signaling for everyone to come to the banquet. So Ruth Anna and her husband Roy made their way up the steps. They got there to the top of the steps, and at the top of the steps was a table with a book on it, and standing there was a man in a very fancy tuxedo. He asked him a simple question, what's your name? And Ruth Anna told him, expecting to be immediately ushered in, probably sitting at one of the, the you know, fancy tables. He said, the guy looked all through the book, and he asked her, he said, how do you spell your last name? And she spelled it for him, and he looked through the book again, and he said, I'm sorry, ma'am, your name's not in the book. And she said, well, there must be some mistake. I'm the singer. I just sang at the ceremony. Surely my name's in the book. He looked again, and he said, no, ma'am, your name's not in the book. And I can't allow you into the banquet if your name's not in the book. And she said he called over some other folks and they escorted she and her husband to the service elevator, took them down to the parking garage and escorted them to their car. 
Well, about halfway home, Roy finally asked her, said, what happened, Ruth Anna? She said, when the RSVP came, it was a really busy time, and I didn't send it in, and, and then I forgot, and, and I just never got around to sending it in. And after all, I was a singer. Surely I was going to get to go in. The more she thought about it, she thought about her missed opportunity. The one thing she needed to do to go to the banquet, she neglected to do. She didn't mean to turn down the invitation. She just let the opportunity slip by. She didn't RSVP. RSVP. All of us have gotten one of these, haven't we? I'll be honest, as a country boy, I had no clue what that meant growing up. This is what it stands for. French. Respondez-vous, s'il vous plaît. Now, that's a country boy who took Spanish trying to speak French, but that's basically what it is. For you French scholars, I'm sorry. What does it mean? It means respond, please. Respond, please, to the invitation. If you're here today, and you are a child of God, you have somewhere in your lifetime responded to the invitation to be saved, to have eternal life, to have your sins forgiven. I want to say to you right now, respond. And you say, wait a minute, you just said I had done all of that. I, I responded to the invitation. I'm good. Yes, you responded to the invitation. Now respond to the call. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through Him, and I'm assuming you do, since you say you've accepted the invitation, why aren't you telling others? How can you let friends and family and neighbors and co-workers and folks at the gas station and the service station at the grocery store how can you let them go on through life without hearing the message of Jesus Christ that forever changed your life respond if we look at the events of this weekend again we know more than ever that our world needs Jesus so I say to you child of God I say to you Christ follower Respond to the call to go and tell. But an even bigger RSVP thought is for those of you here this morning who have never accepted the invitation that Christ offers when He died on the cross and paid the price for your sins in order that you might have everlasting life have your sins forgiven and have fellowship with the God who created you. I say to you this morning, respond please. I'm not just asking, I am pleading with you. Respond please because I don't want to see a single person in this room leave today and have let the opportunity slip away. See, it doesn't matter how Good or how bad you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you don't accept the invitation. 
And see, Ruth Anna learned a lesson. She didn't make a decision not to accept the invitation. But indecision was a decision. And the same is true for us when it comes to salvation. Indecision. Lack of a decision. Doing nothing is a decision. And you don't want to come to that point as you stand before God and hear that your name is not written in the book. See, the gospel message is simple. God created us to be with Him. Our sins separate us from God. Sin can't be removed by doing good deeds. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. And everyone who trusts in Him alone has eternal life. And life with Jesus begins now and goes on forever. RSVP. Respond. Please. Please. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. And Father, we thank you for your love. A love that provided a way for our sins to be forgiven, for our lives to be forever changed, for us to have eternal life. And thank, we're thankful, Lord, that you offer that invitation to all of us. And I pray today that there is not a one who will leave from this place without knowing that they have responded. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.